coming up this week off screen. We go to an office Christmas party. Life gets animated. A nation gets born. A past gets debated. We clear up some jet trash. Max Records claims he's not a serial killer. And Nicolas Cage and some other bloke name of Joseph Gordon-Levitt tells of a story of Snowden. All those to come and more off screen. This is... This is Offscreen. Offscreen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Ooh, welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. My name is Case Allen. <laughs> I love how you say it so authority. My name is Michael Kane. You're expecting Michael Kane, <laughs> weren't you? you? Really are. My name is Maurice McElwhite. <laughs> so, uh, before we get to the film news, before we get to the film reviews, before we get to the box office top ten, let's start actually with a bit of news. What have you got for you, Mister? Let's have something in the way of the news. What's the biggie this week? Jimmy Kimmel will host the Oscars. I heard this. This, and, this is the big news. This is the big news of the week, And you've lost out on money again because you predicted this. And well didn't, have, yeah. you didn't bet. Why do you not put money down on these things? Man? I don't do you know. I, I am the Nostradamus of film. <laughs> it seems it is. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally said it the night before it was announced to my wife. I said, <laughs> I bet you Jimmy Kimmel. And I had reasoning behind it as well. For one thing, Golden Globes have just employed Jimmy Fallon, so I feel like uh, there's like a competing Jimmy. You've got to have one of the Jimmys. You've got to have one you of the Jimmys, Jimmys at least. Yeah. And also, uh, ABC have just renegotiated that they will be telecasting the Oscars. Uh, and of course, ABC is their go-to guy, their course, go-to yeah. uh, host. So, kind of makes sense. But, you know, I think he'll be good. I, I, I honestly think he'll Fair. be good. I think, I think he's, he's got something. He's, there's an unchallenging uh, nature to, to Jimmy Kimmel, I think. I think so, but... In late, he's had a bit of an edge to him as well. I'd have liked, you know, I'd, I'd have liked stuff. Trevor Noah. I think Trevor Noah will get it. In, I think eventually. Adventure. Yeah. But it'll be James Corden first. Yeah. Oh, James Corden, shoe into the Oscars. Because James point. Corden's doing the Grammys, and I feel like that's just like a natural <laughs> progression, isn't it? <laughs> it's kind of just an obvious one to get James Corden to the Grammys. It is, it? but I think he'll be good, and I also think Jimmy Kimmel will be good. And if anything else, there'll be some jokes at Matt Damon's expense. So. Yes, yeah, there will, that will bad, definitely be the case. Yeah. So, uh, well, let's do our first our first review of the week, then we'll yeah. get, this, get this out of the way. We've uh, got a Christmas film. We've got a Christmas film, because we haven't yeah. had any of those recently, other than, you know, that sequel. Which, that's a sequel. <laughs> that sequel comes up, <clears throat> I think it comes up a lot in discussion about uh, Office Christmas Party, which is obviously our first film of the week. Um, this is the latest from the directors of The Switch. Um, Will Speck and Josh... Oh, man, I forget his name offhand. Just, you have to find that out for me. To IMDb, I go. <laughs> to IMDb, you may go. Uh, Josh something and Will Speck. They directed Blades of Glory. They directed uh, I like Blades Switch. of Glory. It was all right. I like Blades of Glory. I think yeah. it's something of a classic of its of its uh, subgenre of Will Ferrell does a different <laughs> topical thing every yeah. week. I've got a bit of news, actually. Film news. Is it's, it a Will Ferrell sports comedy news? It is a Will Ferrell sports comedy. We'll get to that later. He's doing eSports, but yes, there's nothing really more to say than that. We just know that there is one, and he's doing eSports. That's the news. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. the news. That's the news. But for now, from the makers of Will Ferrell does figure skating, we have Office Christmas Party, in which, stop me if you've heard this before, it is the run-up to Christmas. You've got a company. It's run by a bit of a slacker whose dad died and left him in the office. He's got a corporate... Uh, I wonder who that is. He's got a corporate hotshot sister who's a bit of a, you know, a ball-breaker, a bit of, bit of a hard-ass. And she shows up and says, you're not allowed to do Christmas parties. By the way, I'm going to shut down the company because it's not making enough money. And he decides, we've got this one client whose business could save the company, but it turns out that he doesn't quite get... Uh, he doesn't understand us based on our meetings 
think so we have to invite him to the Christmas party and dazzle him and wow him on a personal level and so what they have, what they have to do then is set up a secret clandestine Christmas party in which they invite the big client who's played by Courtney B. Vance obviously the head of the company is TJ Miller the you know pithy boss is the, the corporate hotshot type sister is Jennifer Aniston and the put upon straight man in the middle of all this is guess who is it Jason Bateman? It is chance? Jason Bateman. He plays Battle of Fox. Yeah, that was, exactly, yeah. yeah. And, of course, enter a, a, a series of wacky consequences which conspire to basically turn this otherwise, you know, <clears throat> mundane <throat> office Christmas party into the concept for Project X. So you've got a brick of cocaine that accidentally finds its way into the snow machine. You've got um, a, a, a deranged pimp played by Gillian Bell. You've got... Um, nice. <laughs> as you do. Um, you've got all these elements. Oh, and you've We've got Jennifer Aniston herself sort of, you know, uncovering the existence of the party. I tell you what, we've got a clip in which they, they set up the whole we need to save the company riff. Here you go. Dad gave you a free pass your entire life, and you're not getting one from me. The only way you're going to hit your targets this year is by cutting jobs. Hey, what if we landed the Data City account? <laughs> Data City? Walter Davis? That's right. You do know that he's already met with HP, Cisco, and Oracle. Yeah, but he hasn't heard our pitch. No. <laughs> Josh and I have been drilling into it for weeks. Yeah, months. Whole team. And we have a meeting with him this afternoon. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm on a flight to London tonight. So if by some miracle, you guys can close Walter Davis and his $14 million contract by the time I land in Heathrow, the jobs are safe. Done. And you'll see, you're going to look so stupid. Then we'll finally have something in common. Here's the defining issue with... Well, not the defining issue. Here is the ultimate, in a nutshell, encapsulation of, of Office Christmas Party. Okay, go ahead. Right. Think of it as a Christmas dinner. Right, you know what's coming. You know everything that's going to be on that plate. Mm. You know how everything's going to taste. You you know every step of the forty minute process of eating this Christmas dinner. Were you satisfied with the meal? You were satisfied with it. Yep. But you weren't surprised by it in any way because it's the same as it was last year. It's the same as it was the year before. That is office Christmas party, and by that I mean you've seen Jason Bateman do this role. Yeah. You've seen Jennifer Aniston do that role. You've seen sometimes in the same film. It's in the same film because <laughs> yeah. they've been in three films together now. I think they've been in four. Jennifer Aniston and, and Jason Bateman have yeah. done the switch, both Horrible Bosses movies. And this, the fourth. And the fourth, yeah, this is the fourth, yeah. yeah. So we, we've seen them do this. We've seen them have this chemistry before. We've seen TJ Miller do this role. TJ Miller does this role on telly yeah. now. You know, Silicon Valley, yeah, <laughs> of course. Does, uh, Eric, uh, Ulrich, Bo- uh, Ulrich Bachman, I think yes. his name is. Um, you've seen Gillian Bell do this role. You've seen, um, I forget the name of the actor, but he's the put-upon assistant, sort of dweeby assistant from Blunt Talk. And you've, oh, what's his name? You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. You've seen know. him do that role. Randall Park, you've seen yes. play this role. Uh, Rob Corddry, isn't it? Rob Corddry, play this role. Yeah. You've seen every single bit, I mean, every single bit of this you have seen done to death by the same people. So, there's no surprise to it. In fact, the biggest surprise is they've gotten Kate McKinnon to play slightly out of her type. So rather right, than okay. be rather than be kooky and cool, yeah. she's actually kind of nerdy and suburban. Yeah, and and that's great. That's the only bit of casting inversion. Or you only needed to switch 
you only need to switch the roles that uh, that Jennifer Aniston and Gillian Bell play, and you could have had something genuinely impressive. Just here. a bit of a switch, yeah. yeah exactly. Gillian Bell as the sort of you know uh, competitive sister to T.J. Miller that could work. Yeah, you know, uh, Jennifer Aniston as an angry an- angry sheep imp. Fine, that would actually be quite good as well. The problem is, you've well, seen both she's going to be in a film called Angry Sheep Imp. You forget <laughs> this. It's like, going to be a franchise. Angry Sheep Imp is the ultimate franchise, the yeah. ultimate workaholic spin-off, I think. <laughs> but uh, the problem is, it feels like they just couldn't be bothered to do anything with it. it rather than go out and give us a story that... He, imagine this, just imagine for one second, you've got a 90-minute R-rated Hollywood Christmas comedy called Office Christmas Party that takes place at the Office Christmas Party, and all you've got is a bunch of disconnected storylines that just happen to be taking place at the same thing. It's what and you wish that's, the secret... That's what you get. That's, no, that's what you want. Oh, that's, what you get is... Like that's what you get. No, no, that's what you want. What you get is, oh, we're going to save the company by wowing this client, but oh, we've accidentally gotten him high, and and oh, oh, and that someone's gotten drunk and played with the photocopier, and and this character loves this one, but they've never admitted it right, to him. Right, so no, you, you need those, like, those separate storylines, yeah. and then... You know in yeah. the way that you wish the Secret Life of Pets had been a vignette yeah. movie. You wish, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah this, could this be. needed to be. Can't hardly wait. Like the R-rated Christmas version. This could have had like the three guys from Workaholics being like the pranksters. and yeah. they're, they're planning some big prank. That's it. It yeah. just could have been the R-rated Christmas take on Can't Hardly Wait. Mm. But rather than have that level of ambition, what they've done is they've allowed the crushing weight of convention and the need to have this ABC yeah. worn done to death narrative. Sadly, I think it's just me, you, and Cassie that remember the nineties classic that is Can't, can't Hardly Wait. wait. And the best part is, if you watch that movie now, how many stars are in that movie? Oh, so many. Well, not stars, but you know, people <laughs> but like you love Seth Green's. But like Seth Green, Donny Faison, Donny Faison, um, yeah, Melissa Joan Hart turns up in yeah, it as course, well. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm trying to think who else was in that. Uh, Peter Fashionelli is in uh, that. Is Ethan Embry in that? Ethan Embry. Yeah. He's uh, not the lead guy, is oh, he? Oh, is it Sean? Sean? Not Sean Patrick. Sean Patrick Thomas or Sean Patrick Flannery? I can never remember. Thomas, which... I believe. Thomas. Yeah. I can never remember. One of them is Powder and the other one is in Cruel Intentions. <laughs> That's all I remember. But no, you will laugh at Office Christmas Party. Mm. You know, you'll laugh at it. I, there's no way around this. It, it is funny on a very basic level. But it's funny through repetition. It's funny through familiarity. You will laugh and you will laugh a fair few times, but you won't laugh hard and you won't laugh hard even once. And that's a problem. It's not a lump of coal. It's just a really thoughtless gift, if you can imagine that. You know that thing of, you shouldn't have. I wish you didn't. Can you just have some mulled wine and just be like, eh, it's a Christmas film. At least we're getting a Christmas film. Because I, I hate the years when we don't have any Christmas films at all, good well, or bad. I mean, I, I'd say like we had it better last year when we had uh, the night before. Night before. Yeah. We had it better with the night before. And I didn't think much of that when I no, first saw it. No, I was it. Like, down by it. I, I yeah. liked it. It's fine. Have but... you rewatched it since, by the way? No, but I'm going to be doing it very soon. Yeah, do it. It's a lot better the second time around. Are Year See, on, so that's weird because I said that about Krampus. I I liked Krampus. I've yet when to I saw, When Krampus. I saw it last week for the second time, I, mm. I thought it was great. Loved I'm it. looking forward to seeing Krampus yeah. again. It works better at home for some reason. Some films are like that. Biggest compliment I can give off is Christmas Party. I mean, it's a nuts and bolts. It's by the numbers. It's everybody doing what you know they yeah. can do, even though they really don't seem bothered that they're doing it. <laughs> the biggest compliment I can really give it, other than I laughed a few times, is it's better than Bad Santa. So you know. It, Beaten Bad Santa 2, though, that really is a low bar. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. And we're back. So, give me some film news to I'll tell you. Give you some more. Give you some more. Okay, here's a question for you Who is your favourite 
Harvey Dent. My favourite Harvey Dent. Uh, oh, I don't... I, was, Dent, it Dent Powers, Dent. was it Powers Booth who voiced him in Batman the Animated Series? I feel like it was. Ah, oh, fair enough. Well, this is a backfire because Billy Dee Williams oh. will be <laughs> Harvey Dent in okay. the Lego Batman movie. I feel like we should have had the Colt 45 advert queued up to play. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or just like a soundbite of, hello, what have we here? <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, yeah, he's going to do it again for the Lego Batman movie, isn't Yeah, he? so of course he, uh, he, he wasn't too face but he was Harvey Dent in uh, Tim Burton's first Batman film um, he was he, planned to come back in the third one wasn't he yeah that's the whole reason why he signed up he signed up mm. because it was it was kind of assumed that he was going to turn into Two-Face in a future project that never came to pass much to the chagrin of everyone actually one of the if you think about it one of the earliest examples of race bending in superhero cinema Absolutely. Yeah, and, and no Way one go, cared. Tim. No go. one cared we're, back then. We're just like, we didn't have the internet, you see, back then. <laughs> and and maybe, maybe because Harvey Dent wasn't such a massive character in that film. Well, it's true, I suppose. He was kind of a background guy. You might not have noticed he was in it. But, yeah, like uh, if he was Harvey Dent that's in The Dark Knight, mm. potentially. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. But yeah, I'm that's, just happy. Billy Dee's getting his shot. That's great. He is getting his shot. I think he's going to be great at doing it. And, I mean, I cannot wait for Lego Batman. Movie. No, no, I can't either. It's uh, I'm, I'm even sold on Michael Sarah as Robin, because I think they're, they're playing it well. I'm sold on every part of the casting, mm. up to and including Mariah Carey as a mayor. Oh, good God. I know. All right, should we finish the top four? Start the top ten. Let's begin week. it before we even finish it. Number ten. Bleed for this. Which is just... Panto Creed is the best way to call it. <laughs> <laughs> if you thought Creed was cartoonish, I promise you it's got nothing on Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> yes, it is, guys. Um, it's, everything about it is just this weird cartoonish thing where everyone's under the monster-style uh, makeup effects and fat suits, putting on a silly accent, you know, because yeah. he's from Philly. And, like, I, you know, watching it thinking, I don't care at all. It's lazily directed. It's poorly written. It is performed by people that think that putting on a silly cartoon voice just not skipping leg day is the definition of acting craft and frankly your story's boring and predictable if it weren't for the fact that it was a, a true story no one would have looked twice at this let's move on number nine the edge of 17 which i loved i love this it was like the opposite of bleed for this <laughs> this i actually loved and Haley steinfeld's a star and woody harrelson's amazing and he threatens to steal every scene but steinfeld's so good that she doesn't let him they have great chemistry though um i liked i liked a lot of things about it I love the soundtrack. I love the design of it. Uh, Kelly from On Craig, I think, did an amazing job writing and directing this. It's something that it has replaced the duff for me as my favourite teen girl movie of really? the last five years. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's it. That's. It. I mean, I love Mae Whitman in the Duff. I think it's a great movie. That was a great film. It really that? was, wasn't yeah. it? But uh, and the Duff did have Ken Jeong. This movie doesn't have Ken Jeong. So you know, there's <laughs> there's that working against it. Sorry, Doctor Ken. Sorry, Doctor Ken. But. If you if you if you like Mean Girls, the To Do List, or the Duff, you need to go and see The Edge of Seventeen. It's seriously great. Number eight, Bad Santa the Second. Bad Santa the Second, which is basically Bad Santa the First again, but with all yeah. of the edge filed off. Basically, they filed all yeah. the edge away, and they've they've gone Hollywood with it. Yeah, and that's not what made the thing about Bad Santa was it was basically this nasty indie film, and it felt like it all the way through. And Lauren Graham was in it, and I had Lauren Graham, but it, it did have that indie feel, didn't it? Because mm. it was produced by the Coen Brothers, and they yeah, that's often forgotten about. Yeah, yeah. It, well, they produced it as something they wanted to direct, and then apparently they couldn't do it, and they got uh, is it Ed, Ed Zwick did it, I think, didn't he? Is it, an, is it, is, it, is it Eddie's Wick or Zwick Flick or Terry Zweigoff? I can't remember. 
It's either I don't Z- think it's Ed Zwick because I feel Zwick like I would remember or Zweigoff. That. It's one of one of the two. Um, but they they passed it over in the end. They just they set in as producers and they mm. produced this great indie film. What you've now got is the indie film was successful. Zweigoff. Zweigoff. Sorry, but you can see why I get confused. They're both Zwei. They're both Zwei or Zwei. <laughs> the Zwei Zwei. You know. That's why it's we. You can see why I'd get confused, you know what I mean? So, um, but no, all the edges filed away. It's just not as edgy. It's not as funny. It's not as crass. It's not quite as grim and dark. And at the same time as well, it doesn't have the heart. Gotta have Um, heart. You gotta have the heart. You've gotta have the pie. The pie's your heart. Exactly. Number seven. (laughs) Trolls. Trolls. In the dungeon. It's been going a while. Isn't it seven weeks or something now? It is indeed seven seven weeks. weeks. Well, he's gotten a Grammy nomination, hasn't he? Uh, Justin Timberlake's gotten a Grammy nomination for his song in Trolls. That makes sense. It can't, can't stop the feeling, I want to say, offhand. I can't remember. Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, but uh, well, which is a song that sticks with you after the film is. But this is the thing: it's a film that wears you down because it's so sugary and so glossy and so bright and colourful and cheerful and happy <laughs> that you think I've lost any cynicism or indeed the will to live having sat through this <laughs> I am worn down I will just skip merrily back to my car and go home and and that's the feeling you have you think okay well you know what it's a Trolls movie it did its job the kids enjoyed it the parents were kind of worn down to the degree of enjoying it yeah. so it obviously works It's gonna. I think it's going to have a huge shelf life on DVD when they start marking it with like little Trolls dolls and absolutely everything. and I'm sure we'll get a Trolls 2 oh, this is, and the poster yeah. will be like Justin Timberlake's Troll hang, hold yeah. up two fingers oh, of course there, there, oh there's an obvious franchise in this yeah Number six, Arrival, which I love. Have you? You've not. I'm been seeing it oh, you're on seeing Saturday. It? Oh, I can't wait for this because I have nothing to do on Saturday <laughs> for the first time in two months. Well, I'm looking forward to when you've seen this because I, I I can't wait to hear the response. There is, I mean, I probably shouldn't be saying this now, but there is a space reserved for it in my top of the year. <laughs> I've not you're even hoping, seen it. You're hoping you get to film it because otherwise it's going to be a domino thing where you file everything forward. One, yeah. But I think I don't think you'll be disappointed. I don't. I don't, I don't think I will. But uh, and this is the thing; it is a um, it's, it's classical cerebral science fiction. It's the kind of thing that harkens back to, I think, old Hollywood. In one, well, not old Hollywood, but you know, uh, new age the Hollywood. What do you call it? The new age, the golden age, the Brisbane Renaissance, the new romantics. I can't remember the, the, the Lucas and Spielberg era. Yeah, you know what I mean. This is the this is the more thoughtful end of what they were doing in sort of the seventies. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously not seeing it, but mm. certainly seeing it, it seems like it has more of a Close Encounters vibe. Very much, and it does it. owe a debt to Close Encounters. I mean, it owes stylistically and conceptually, it owes more of a debt to uh, Contact and Sphere. But it obviously is something that works more to the, the the terrain of Close Encounters as well, and it does owe a debt to that. But it is the militarized, hardcore, tech friendly answer to that, mm. which in twenty sixteen is the film you have to make. Yeah. And do you know what? It ticks every box. It succeeds immeasurably it has great performances at its centre and you get Forrest Whisker doing his best Tommy Lee Jones impression and that's always a good thing why is not to laugh exactly is that the end of the we're done with the top ten for now aren't we yeah we are oh okay cool yeah we are so we'll, give us a bit of film news and then I'll review I'm not a serial killer just a little quick. bit okay um, here is some news I was just like what? and then it kind of makes sense okay. once you think about it what you got? so uh, Sony are going to be doing a live action Barbie film okay I have heard yeah, this you've heard this news everyone's heard this news mm-hmm. um, Barbie is going I think that Barbie's going to play by Amy Schumer she is because some places have said that she's going to be Barbie and other places have said that she's going to be Barbie's friend no I think she is going to be no, Barbie no no I've heard the pitch for this yeah right the idea is that uh, Amy Schumer is Barbie yeah. she lives in Barbie world which is okay. like in, and this movie's going to be like Enchanted style but the idea is see in, I like that yeah in yeah. Barbie world 
she's a freak. She's she doesn't fit the Stepford wife norm. She doesn't fit the the size zero aesthetic, for mm. instance, with the coiffed hair and all that. This is the idea, and the Amy Schumer's Barbie finds a way into our world, mm. where the fact that she's got a personality for one thing, or to be more specific, has Amy Schumer's personality, yeah. makes her something special. See, I really like the idea of that. Yeah, that is just, basically kind of encha- a reverse enchanted in a yeah. weird way. Isn't and I, it? I do see Amy Schumer's appeal. Mm. For me, I don't. You're I'm, not. A I'm, fan. I'm not really. I'm not on the train. Uh, I, I'm not on the train. Right? I'm going to be really honest. The I, first, I would prefer Gillian Bell. I prefer Gillian Bell to be possibly. But the first yeah. five minutes of Trainwreck genuinely made me fall in love with Amy Schumer. Mm. Uh, I'm a big fan. I'm a very big fan of her. I liked it up until the prerequisite Game of Thrones reference. Oh, no, that was within those first five minutes. I overlooked that because the humour of everything else in that scene just, just kind of did it for me. Um, but, okay, uh, tell me about I'm Not a Serial Killer. Because right, you, you told me a little bit on the phone the other day. I did tell you a little bit. I was like, what? <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't think you noticed because we got we got confirmed during that phone call for Rogue One. I, thought you were too I was in a bit of a Rogue One uh, coma. You're yeah. like, oh my Rogue God, we're going to Rogue One. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, okay, I Am Not a Serial Killer, which um, is, it stars Max Records. Do you remember the little boy from uh, Where the Where Wild, Wild Things, Things Are? are. I certainly right. do. Um, this is an Irish-British co-production that is set and filmed in the US, takes place in the US, and stars Max Records as the, the young son of the of the of a small town mortician the mortician is actually played by you know laura fraser from what what's she I mean breaking bad and that virtual reality name, yeah. sex bot movie that she did years ago <laughs> i don't even remember that virtual reality <laughs> sex bot movie what was it called Vir- might be called virtual sexuality or something like that but not virtuality sex bot film N- no not that one <laughs> <laughs> number five <laughs> <laughs> but right, okay. So I'll, I will find out what Laura Fraser is known for at some point. Please, in fact, you you have IMDb. Please look it up. Right. The idea is then our young lead, who is the sort of you know outcast of this town. He says the mortician's son, so he's picked on at school. Um, he begins to uh, take an active interest in a series of local killings, which seem to be the emergence of a serial killer. And he's convinced he's found the culprit, who's mm. none other than wouldn't you believe it, Christopher Lloyd, Doc Brown himself, Doc Brown himself. But there is more to this man than you than anyone suspects and very soon he finds himself facing off against a force from another world entirely here's a clip you know this is a party for normal people right so why don't you go home to your undertaking of a mother right what are you smiling about i've been clinically diagnosed with sociopathy rob to me you're an object you know you're you're a thing you're about as important to me as a cardboard box. And the, the thing about cardboard boxes is that, you know, they're totally boring on the outside, right? But sometimes if you cut them open, there'll be something interesting inside. You know, and so while you're saying all these boring things to me, I'm thinking about what it'd be like to cut you open. Max Records there with uh, his his own take on uh, on being a sociopath. Um, it was virtual sexuality. We were right. Yes, okay, confirmed. Um, the sex bot, incidentally, is played by Rupert Penry Jones. Really? Yeah, oh, a, yeah, a very young platinum blonde Rupert Penry Jones. Um, I'll be real quick on this one. I mean, for one thing, the film is tremendous. It is genuinely mm. tremendous. Imagine, if you will, a cinematic answer to Stranger Things. 
Oh, the, that's good. I know. It has its roots in the, you know, the, the, the heyday of the 80s small-town Joe Dante-type movie. It's a little creepier. It veers more towards horror, but it's black. It's, it's black-hearted. It's comedic. It is deep, sensitive, thoughtful. I really genuinely love it. It's written and directed by Billy O'Brien, who uh, brought us, uh, what was it called now? Uh, Isolation, remember that? About ten years yeah, ago, yeah, vaguely, yeah. Also, uh, the hybrid quite recently, but um, I really loved it. I love the star. I think uh, Christopher Lloyd is your, he's your big name star. I think in this, but it's it's very much a sort of added value element. Um, Max Records is the one to watch. As you might have gotten from the clip, he's he's really something to behold here. But it's down to sharp writing. It's down to stylization. It's de- it's a film that is definitely going to find <clears throat> arguably its biggest fans in the Stranger Things audience. Mm. If Stranger Things pitches itself towards let's be nostalgic about childhood years, this pitches itself towards let's be nostalgic about those teen years that follow that. If if you genuinely if if we'd gone through three seasons of Stranger Things yeah. and then they'd done a film spin off <clears> and given <throat> us this, you wouldn't have been surprised. Mm. And and for me, I, I I'm saying that in a in a very complimentary way. With the latest film news and reviews. This is off screen. And we're back, and, well, we're all wingmen here. So, let's look, then, at, uh, well, y- your boy's back case. Sir the boy's Nicholas, back. Sir Nicholas of Cage. In what I believe is a lead role, but because he is such a gentleman, <laughs> exactly, he's only in it for three yeah, scenes. That, that's exactly how it works. Uh, Nicholas Cage, of course, was the lead, but thought, do you know what, I'm going to be charitable, I'm going to give this young GGL fellow uh, some time to shine. Yeah. I don't know nobody's heard of him. I don't think he's got his own, like, video company no, or, like, no, TV show like that, or anything. No, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, Snowden, which is, of course, the Oliver Stone-directed uh, version of the story of Edward Snowden. Yeah, I feel like nobody better could... Make this. That's the thing because yeah. it feels so predictable, doesn't it? Oh, oh yeah, Oliver Stone will do that story. You could have predicted it when it happened. Yeah, it's like if it's ever going to be a Donald Trump film, he's your guy. Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. And Gary Busey, of course, will be Donald Trump because well, he's obviously. increasingly that age. Uh, right. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt plays uh, Edward Snowden here, and uh, we've got an all-star cast around him. So you've got Nicolas Cage, uh, you've got uh, Reese fans, you've got Shailene Woodley, you've got a hell of a cast going on there, and of course, it all comes by way of Oliver Stone, who has never shied away from a political topic in his life. Um, the story, of course, chronicles Edward Snowden's, um, well, basically his early career, how he was sort of drummed out of the army due to an injury, how he went into intelligence intelligence work, and how he eventually got drafted into the program that was using PRISM in the name of uh, protecting the US. Um, the film largely takes place in flashback. In the present day, you've got him in the hotel. You've basically got the events of Citizen Four, the documentary Citizen Four. Mm. That's your present day. So he's he's in the hotel room, he's talking to the reporters, one of whom is Zachary Quinto, and uh, he is in flashback telling us the story of how he you know came across Prism and why he is now leaking it to the why he is blowing the whistle. Uh, we have a clip. You got a little Snow White in you. Which makes me feel like the witch bringing you a poison apple. Here. Exhibit A. Oakland resident Justin Pinsky posted on a message board. Romania has a storied history of executing their leaders. Couldn't they do us a solid and take out Bush? Oh, this looks juicy. This is from a G-chat. With the biggest python you've ever seen. Hmm. How is this all possible? Um, keyword selectors. Attack, take out, Bush. So think of, it, think of it as a Google search, except instead of searching only what people make public, we're also looking at everything they don't. So emails, chats, SMS, whatever. Yeah, but which people? 
The whole kingdom, Snow White. Right, so true to form, um, Oliver Stone handling this story proves to be an absolutely brilliant idea. Now, his cast across the board are terrific. Mm. There's a couple of things that stand out. First of all, Reese Iffens as the CIA mentor figure, the, the hard-ass version of the CIA mentor figure. You've got Nicholas Cage as the good one. He's your, your white hat, and you've got uh, Reese Iffens as the black hat. Uh, Reese Iffens plays it, weirdly, as if he's taken Willem Dafoe's role from him. So he's playing it in full of Willem Dafoe mode. Mm. And then you've got <laughs> Nicholas Cage, who's putting it about the most sympathetic, most normal performance he's done in years. It's quite strange to see him in a film like this nowadays. It is, but I think it harkens back to him actually just having a relationship with Oliver Stone that goes back to World Trade Center. Mm. Um, As far as Oliver Stone goes, it's the best film he's produced in, ooh, 15 years I'd say, at a pinch. A while, yeah. Like he's been on something of a downward Downward spiral for a while now. Savages and Wall Street 2, Money Never Sleeps. (laughs) Yeah, but the audience did. And, uh, right, let let me just reel off this cast you and this is an idea of what sort of level you're working at joseph gordon levitt great D- does the, even does the voice he's even got the edward snowden voice you know that voice yeah i am um, booming deep voice I, I saw i saw a still of the film and mm. he did actually look a lot he's like got him, the posture yeah. he's got he's everything down, that yeah. made edward snowden such a present he's got that charlene woodley is the love interest who basically gets to be the sort of voice of reasoning or uh melissa leo zachary kinto uh, uh reese Ifans, as i say parker sawyers the guy who played yep. uh obama recently uh nicholas cage tom wilkinson jolie richardson timothy ola fantastic is all fantastic's in that fantastic is in here you've got um what's his name uh east scott eastwood has a small role in this because it's 2016 because it's 2016 so it's it a small film i'll get scott eastwood exactly ben chaplin turns up in oh. this it is just a who's who and would you believe it even edward snowden himself turns up in this little cameo well actually it, it does kind of bookend it as if Oliver Stone has intended his film as a chronicle, as a monument to the man and what he achieved. Mm. Now, the biggest problem with Snowden is not that it's a bad film. In fact, it's very good. The biggest problem is, from minute one, it is geared around the idea of... kind of legendizing Edward Snowden. It's based around the idea of this man is a hero and he should be celebrated thusly. Mm. They've tried to add clear fictionalization to the actual way in which, for instance, he obtained the information that he would go on to leak. And they've added elements to it which quite clearly have come come from, you know, the mind of a writer who's just inventing things. There's a whole element where they've added a secondary character to help him. You're like, no, I've seen Citizen Four. This didn't happen. <laughs> I've heard Edward Snowden himself tell me that this is not how it happened. Yeah. And and, right, it, it's a film. Its attention to detail is phenomenal, like genuinely phenomenal. I, this, I mean, it's a story I've always been fascinated with. So the stuff about metadata and things you have to get right, and they've nailed all of that. It's incredibly sharply written. The problem is Oliver Stone's visible love for Edward Snowden is is something that you can't help but feel permeates the film throughout. Having said that, it is very good. It's a very, very good drama. It's very gripping. It's good to have him back. It is. It's yeah. good. To, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he's back on fine form, but he's back on something close to a form. At least he's. Yeah, it's a bit of an uptick. It's as close as we're getting. Yeah. So yeah, give me some news then before we finish the top ten. Give a little bit of news. Go on, I'll give you some news about. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll do what my one of my two pieces of uh, movie uh, bad guy news. Movie bad. I like movie bad guy. So news. first one. Go on. Walton Goggins were playing yeah. the villain in the new uh, Tomb Raider film. This is the bit I went before we started. This is, cool. I was, this is the this bit is I was cool. going to tell you. Yeah, Walton Goggins is the Tomb Raider villain, which is great. Yeah. It's great. It's probably his. Well, it will be his most high-profile role. 
I would think. He really needs one, yeah. doesn't he? He's, he's been... I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like he has been, he's been going up. Like, he's, he's just been, like, a well-respected character actor for quite a long time. Well, he's been quiet since The Hateful Eight. And there's a lot yeah, of people... Yeah, that was January. Well, that's what I mean. But he's not been casting anything Leatherman since The Hateful Eight. No, he has. He's been doing uh, the, the TV show, uh, Vice Principals. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so he's yeah, had yeah. that. So let him have a summer with Danny McBride. <laughs> God. <laughs> but this, yeah, this will be good. And I hope it's not just, like, when William Fitchner is the bad guy in turtles yeah i wanted that mm. to be great and it just really wasn't i don't know i i actually think walton goggins seems to have very good taste in projects mm. like he only yeah, takes a certain kind him. of role he only takes a role that gives him something to chew something to really bite down on yeah and this could be good this, this could, could be, be. This could but be i mean good, yeah walton goggins is the villain alicia vikander is lara yeah, croft. croft raw uthog <laughs> <laughs> i feel like we should directing. after we after we say our name like some like metal plays <laughs> i feel okay in the run-up to tomb raider we're gonna do that we're we'll gonna have that. a raw uthog button i feel like his name should be spoken you see that episode of blackhead in which the prince teams up with the actors to deliver a speech, <laughs> yeah. and he does the roar. Yep. I feel like that's how you should say Raw Uthorg's name. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the director of the wave, the phenomenal director yeah. of the phenomenal so wave. Uh, that, was, that was a good film. Yeah, it really it was, 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 wasn't it? Uh, so yeah, uh, the new Lara Croft, whatever it's going to be called, mm-hmm. uh, March 2018. Nice. Should we finish the top ten? Then we'll have some more villain news later. Why the heck not? Number five, Pitbull. Which I'm being told is not about Mr. Worldwide. No. It's something else. I have no no idea what this is. It's some kind of musical performance thing, but it's not been press shown, so it'll need to... Is is it actually about... Is it actually about Mr. Worldwide well, I, I himself? Don't, I don't know. It wasn't press show. I have no idea what this is. I want to find out but, about it. I think you should find out, because for all I know, this is actually Pitbull going and performing in... It'll look it's Polish, that. Yeah, that's why I didn't think that it was... I think it is. It might actually himself. be Pitbull has done a concert in Poland, which... I haven't given it a, a Pol- strange, Polish title. Stranger things have happened. And it's number five. Yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't name one song by Pitbull. Um, he did that song with... Kesha? Didn't he Timber. do one? Didn't Timber, he? isn't it? Timber? Oh, is yeah. that him? Didn't yeah. he do the theme song down. to Men in Black 3? I, I want yeah. to say. I, I, I can't remember what that <laughs> yeah, song was. Yeah, he did. Was. He, he was the stand-in Will Smith, because Will Smith Has stopped couldn't it, even do Will Smith. Why does Collateral not have a Will Smith theme song? Come on, people. Yeah, and he's Will Smith just going, woo I'm like just, just going to put it out there, okay? Will Smith's films are not doing as well as they used to. Coincidentally, he, he doesn't do the theme song. He needs anymore. to do his good guy rap. Right. I'm just saying, if Will Smith went back to doing his theme songs, maybe his films would be good again. Just just, just putting it out there. Number four, Allied. <laughs> Which is half a great movie and half a really lazy thing that you kind of wish you weren't watching. <laughs> uh... Performances are fine. The problem is the writing, which kind of gives up halfway through and just becomes the. It basically shelves its best assets. It shelves Marion Cartier. It gives up its travelogue adventure spy idea for something far more generic. And in the end, you come away thinking, well, at least it had Jared Harris to spice things up. Number three. Sully. I'm not going to save a subtitle. <laughs> I feel insulted that they've given us a subtitle. Yeah, why does it need one? Were people. Oh, it's like Tomorrowland all over again, it's isn't like it? Just let us have one word. It's, it's like cleaner. worried about people it's assuming like, it was a monster. It's like, it's like, it's like the Facebook. Just drop the the. Just yeah. Facebook. It's drop cleaner. The, simplify it. Yeah. But you saw this. You, you were a bigger fan than I was, I think, of it. But uh, I didn't love it. I just I thought it was okay. I didn't love it, but I think it was, it was quite televisual. It was... Yeah, I don't think that's a terrible thing. Where, where it needed to be cinematic, it was cinematic. It needed to be cinematic. The problem is, I don't think there's there's not enough it's not material. There's it's not, not enough material not to make a film out of this, I don't yeah. think. This is this is masterpiece theatre. This is a, a small slice of theatre at best. And mm. it's not a film. It, it's, it's a great story and everything. Like No one can take that away from it. It's a yeah. great story. It's not 
a film, though. It's it's not something where you think because there's not enough enough going on there for it to be a real story. Yeah, it could have been a good sort of like standalone fifty minute Showtime thing yeah, where yeah, it yeah. focuses just in in that makeshift courtroom. Yeah, exactly. Kind of it, the problem yeah. is, I mean, it's it's well directed for what it is, and Hanks is great in it, and and Aaron Eckhart's great in it, but. Really, I kind of want a film of this caliber to be spectacular, and it's not. It's kind of just Thursday for all these guys. Number two, Moana, which I liked. I didn't love it. I don't think it's up there with uh, Princess and the Frog or Tangled or Frozen. What are you mouthing at me? Nothing. What are you mouth? <laughs> Come on, cough it up. You're on mic. Cough it up. Well, I've not seen it, so I can't. I can't be a snark. Exactly. Well, why don't why don't you go and I'll, see it then? I'm, then you I'm can seeing talk. it on Saturday when I see Arrival. <laughs> okay, fair Finally. enough. Finally, until then I'll keep my super comments in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I liked it for what it was. I just it felt a bit aimless at times. It doesn't feel anywhere near the level of the Disney classic to which we've become accustomed in the like things like Frozen and things like that. But you know, I liked it and the music was good and. I'm not going to, you know, smack talk it. I just wished it was amazing. And it's not amazing. It's just pretty good. I feel like we're having too much of a good thing. Exactly. That's it. Disney is spoiling us. That's the problem. Yeah. You know, just give us a home on the range too to just cleanse our palate with <laughs> that's the thing. This is This is The Hunchback of Notre Dame. And The Hunchback of Notre Dame isn't a bad movie. It's just not a Disney classic. Number one. I will defend Hunchback of Notre Dame to my dying breath. <laughs> go for it, go And for also, it. Fantastic Beasts are much fun. <laughs> You'll defend Fantastic Beasts? Did you see this? Oh, God, no. I'll, I'll, I'll not defend this. It was good. I liked it. But... Well, what was the s- subtitle you gave this? Put that thing back where it came from, also, also help me. <laughs> uh, well, that's the thing. It's Goosebumps. Yeah. Goosebumps in the Harry Potter world, <laughs> and then you've got the third act seems to come from Philosopher's Stone. And it's fine, you know, can't really can't really dispute it. Um performances are pretty you know, pretty good. Uh Colin Farrell sort of minces his way along. <laughs> but uh, and then the reveal has been ruined the big reveal has been ruined by the filmmakers in advance in every interview they've ever given. But other than that, it is a triumphant return to the Harry Potter world. It's one of those films that I think is going to be better viewed as a launching platform than <clears throat> as a film in its own right. And mm. frankly, it doesn't need to be anything more than that. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing, Mr. Allen. So, give me some news then to take us to our final review of the week. I will gladly oblige. What do you got for me? Well, I told you that I was going to do a twofer with some movie bad guys. Okay, well, who else you got for me? It's not, they're not, not rebooting Hans Gruber, are they? Not yet. Oh, thank God. Get I mean, Alan Rickman sadly passed away this year. Give it at least two years. Before they reboot Alan Rickman as Miles Teller. Give it. Yeah, that'll, that'll <laughs> oh. totally happen. Oh, no. Right, so uh, Ocean's 8 is coming out next year. Ooh, yes. yes. Currently filming. They've got a villain. So this is the girls' Ocean's movie. Yes, this is about ladies, ladies' Ocean's. So this is what Twitter's going to be annoyed about weird. for the next... <laughs> Twitter's going to be annoyed about this next this two years. This is going to be the new Ghostbusters. Yeah, oh, okay, brilliant. So yeah. when they... Even though it... It sounds great. So it's going to be like, hashtag not my oceans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Even a fight with the oceans that they like isn't even the original oceans. <laughs> so... <laughs> Damn but trolls. No, so who, anyway. is, who is our Oceans 8 villain, then? 
Uh, the Ginger Bond, who isn't Bond. The Ginger Bond, who isn't Bond? Yeah, Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis? Yeah. That classy soul. He I is like indeed a, a classy Damien man, Lewis. isn't he? Well, I think of it. Who's the, the Homeland like cameo gin. character? Is it Nick Brode, Nicholas Brody, I want to say, in Homeland? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I like so. I like Damien Lewis. As do I. Do you know, I'd, I'd be fine with him being Bond. I feel like he's a little bit too old now. I feel like he could have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but this is a good casting. Apparently he's going to be uh, Sandra Bullock's uh, ex-boyfriend, ex-lover, ex whatever. And also then Mark. Presumably. And then Mark. He's... He is the so target. He's, 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 the, he's, the, he's, new he's yeah. the new Andy Garcia. Ah, fair, fair. Which I like that. That's got some yeah. potential. You know, I've never seen the third of uh, the rebooted Oceans. Oh, well, that apparently was Apparently, Andy Garcia, is he sort of part of the crew? Part of the crew, yeah, because he's trying to take on a rival casino owner who's Al Pacino, Al Pacino. who's a character called Willie Bank, and his catchphrase is, take it to the bank, and yeah, it's a whole thing. Does he say, who are, at any point? Uh, no, I think he's, he's it's like he's asleep the whole time, mm. and they just sort of don't really acknowledge the fact. Yeah. But uh... there is a Chinese restaurant near my house mm-hmm. that is called Huwa. <laughs> and every time I see it in my head, I've got like an Al Pacino monologue. It's like, I choked on my coffee then. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so let's go on to our final review of the yeah. week then. Uh, Birth of a Nation. Birth of a Nation, which is the d- feature directorial debut of Nate uh, Nate Parker. Mm. I said Nat Turner. Right, Nate Parker plays Nat, Nat Turner. Turner. Right, this because this gets a little confusing at times. Right, uh, this is a passion project for him. He has co-written this. He has co-financed this. He has produced this. He has directed it. He is starring in it. And I'm pretty sure he wrote the theme tune, sang the theme tune. Um, in fact, isn't there one? Isn't there someone, some famous R&B singer who's done I don't done know. I'll look what up, actually. I'm sure, it, I'm sure there is. Like, some R&B singer has actually done a theme song for this. Are you thinking no. like a Selma... I'm John thinking. Legend. I'm thinking like Naz or John Legend or someone. Oh, Naz would be great. It's always Naz. It's always Naz. Naz did the I, the hey, Usain Bolt one recently. Ta- time is automatic, man. Time is automatic. <laughs> it's never Wyclef anymore. At least they can thank God for that. The perfect gentleman. Right. Okay. Why do I know so much about rap? I, I don't know. Uh, you are the whitest person I know. Okay. No, I know. <laughs> right. So uh, this is the story of Nat Turner, who um, famous figure who led a forty a near forty eight hour insurgency in pre-Civil War America. And basically, he led a movement that... In fact, I'm getting ahead of myself. He is a slave who basically becomes the preacher to all of his fellow slaves. When it is discovered that a, a growing sentiment is emerging amongst all the, lo- the local uh, slaves in the community... Basically, his owner, who's played by Army Hammer, is enticed with money to take him around and use his preaching services to basically quell this growing hostility. And the idea is that as he's going around, he's doing these sermons, he's seeing more and more of the injustice that's being exacted upon him and his people. And he is then inspired to lead what will become this 48-hour insurgency and cause a lot of dead people. And uh, here is a clip of pretty much his first response having started this killing spree Mom. oh Lord, I slept too late oh, no. mama you won't have to work today you're free the battle's begun mom Sam. Sam, I'm gonna take you to Reese's. Now I need you to take care of Cherry and Joanna until I get back, you hear? What's wrong?
Right, so uh, Nate Parker there as Nat Turner. And right, first and foremost, this is an astonishing debut. Mm. Genuinely, I can see where the pre, the, the very early uh, buzz came from. You can see it; it's there. This is for this is because it plays like a pre-Civil War Braveheart. Is basically the, the way to kind of sell yeah. this. And we consider we had Free State of Jones recently, which was kind of a flop. And this is, I would argue, that it, it's it sort of corrects some of the issues with Free State of Jones. However. It is a little too Hollywood at times. It is a little bit too weirdly glossy. It has Jackie Earl Haley in his 19th role to date as racist white man. which <laughs> Racist white man number 19. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know that, that meme that goes around about the uh, the actor from Fast and Furious? It says, why does he always play a character named Hector? Um, you could do that with Jackie Earl Haley, <laughs> where he literally, his IMDb profile is just the same role over and over. Wait, racist white man <laughs> number three. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, the performances are great. Um, his direction is tight. It is fantastic. He manages to make his battle... It's spade on the cheap. He manages to make his small, stripped-down battle scenes actually quite effective. Mm. The story, because it's not something you hear widely, is fascinating. It is gripping. It is the kind of story where you can tell what effect this had on American history. It's a genuinely fascinating time. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't expect to at all. Mm. But, lo and behold, here we are. Um... I'm I'm fascinated that this came out of what is effectively a bit part actor that Nate Parker managed to produce. Yeah, I've only seen him in a handful of things. Was he in uh, Red Tails? Uh, he was, but he was basically his, basically his highest profile role was as the man who shared <clears throat> Lupita Nyong'o's haircut in Nonstop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's, he he let's, was he was yeah. Peter Nyong'o. Yeah, he was Which Peter is generally Nyong'o. what her brother is called in real life. Really? Yeah. So there's Lupita, Lupita and, Peter and Peter Nyong'o. Yeah. Oh my god, and that's brilliant. Also, a side note. It's not Nyong'o, it's Inyongo. Inyongo. Yeah. I'm just wondering if there's another sister called Anita Nyong'o. Oh my god. <laughs> That'd like be adorable. That'd be great, aren't they? <laughs> right. So, no, I really enjoyed it. I think if it's, it's a kind of film, it, you can cynically dismiss it as a few months a slave. If you really want to be, you know what I mean? You had 12 That's years of slave. This is a few months of slave. Um, and, and by that, I mean it's not quite as this grand, sweeping Oscar thing as 12 years of no, slave. No, but was. of course, because of the subject material, it was compared to it, it Of course. Now, I think that's an unfair comparison, because this is very much more of a Braveheart story. And, wow, hats off to it. Really enjoyed it. Um, it's not our film of the week, though, Mr. Allen. Our Spoiler. film of the week, instead, mm. I'm going to give to I Am Not a Serial Killer, which cool. I think everyone should see. It's phenomenal. It's really something. It's good to see uh, Christopher Lee in that kind of... Christopher, Christopher Lee? Lee? Christopher Lloyd. It'd be great to see Christopher Lee, It'd be great to see Christopher Lee, yeah. sadly. But uh, yeah. next week, some fun stuff. Uh, next week, we've got mm. A Monster Calls, which that's had some hype. And uh, we're yes. not ending there with the monsters, though. We also have Monster Trucks. Next week, so we've got a monster is calls. That next, I thought I was delayed. Monster trucks is next week. It's it, it's happening. It's uh, yeah. We've also got <laughs> just 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 release it. <laughs> yeah, we've also got the animated story ballerina. Uh, we've got Operation Chromite, which is the World War Two thing with Liam Neeson. Neeson. We've got the Eagle Huntress, which is a documentary narrated by Daisy Ridley, yeah. and we've got Through the Wall as well. But of course. Uh, oh, we've got a few other films. Uh, Crash and Burn, which is the uh, racing documentary. Uncle Howard and the Son of Joseph. But of course, there's only one film that everyone's going to be talking about next week. And I think we all know what that is. 
We are returning to the Wars of the Stars, and we are headed to Rogue One. Ah. So, uh, which of course you never, I, never heard of it. You and I are very much looking forward to. So we we might be seeing we, it before it's out. We might be Ooh, might be going to see it early. Yeah. Um, so we've got all those to look forward to uh, when, when we return. Uh, this has been a County Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I've been Case Allen, and we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay. Podcast extras, then, Mister Allen. So, Sup. this is this is this is your time to shine, baby. This is all you. We got me, Mister Allen. Shine Take it away. Like a diamond or Rihanna. <laughs> shine I bright. Guess. Shine bright like a diamond, you saucy Barbadian minx. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. We do often get called that. We're always being compared to each other. <laughs> I always forget that she's in Ocean's Eight. That she's one of the Ocean's Eight girls. No, it's mad. Isn't so it? weird, isn't it? Because you forget that. Well, it's... I was going to say she's an actress. But no, I've seen Battleship. I think exactly. she forgot she was an actress. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she was like, just stand here with a gun. Look great. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, Peter Berg. <laughs> Cheers. Great work. She's awful. Mind you, nobody's good in that movie. It is so awful. No, that film could have been fun. That film could have been fun. It's yeah. just, I feel like if you gave that to Miller and Lord, mm. if you said to, like, if you way that you yeah, said, totally. make a film out of Lego. Out of the Lego? Out of Lego. Out of the Lego. Out of the Lego. Out of, out like of the Lego pieces. Lego blocks and said, we're going to build a film. <laughs> Yeah, I'm that guy that says the Facebook. Are you that guy? I'm the that guy. Facebook. The Twitter, the YouTube. So go on then, what's happening in the world of Cine? Right, this happened today, and this kind of took me by surprise. Okay, go on. So, um, there's going to be a remake of Little Shop of Horrors. There that, is. That did not that did not take me by surprise. That didn't really, no. No, it's just because something... it's, been, it's been so long, that that version that I, I love, years? it's something like it's that. It's 30 years yeah. this year, isn't it? I believe so. Nineteen eighty six. Where is my re-release? <laughs> Where is Rick Moranis? Someone get him back, man. Good point, yeah. Um, making uh, country music. Mm. Generally, what he does. I makes, did not uh, know that. Country albums. But yeah, um, it has been a while, obviously. So mm-hmm. that was well overdue for. So it's coming back. Version. Who's who's bringing us this uh, this this comeback? Greg Belanti. Greg Belanti. Does that name mean anything to you, Greg? Mr. Move your head. You know, that's, <laughs> exactly. that's why it rings a bell. That's why exactly. I know because every episode of Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, and Legends of Tomorrow ends with Greg. Greg move, move your, your head. head. Yeah, um, he is. Uh, it's the, the new Gur Arg. He is. It is absolutely <laughs> new Gur Arg. He is the the captain of the good ship uh, Belanti. Yeah, of so, the Flowerverse. So he is basically the guy who has done what Zack Snyder can't and made coherent entertainment out of DC characters. He's the Kevin Feige. Yeah, yeah, he is the Kevin yeah, Feige of DC yeah, TV DC stuff. DC TV, absolutely. He's the reason the Flash rocks hard. Yes, um, it does. Oh, it so does, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm halfway man. through uh, the the four way crossover. Oh, I'm I'm I'm, I'm watching that tonight in its entirety. But yeah, um, that yeah, that kind of took me by surprise. Yeah, yeah, me too. Not not only because I. I thought he was just going to be on the sort of the more TV side, but he was supposed to be doing the Booster, Booster Gold, Gold, yeah, which had been written by uh, Zach Stentz, who has done a couple of episodes couple of, Flash. of Flash, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I'm I'm fine with that. I I really I, I love the Little Shop, the Flowerverse, and Little Shop. Yeah, so it seems so like a perfect fusion for you. That's cool. And I'm not sure if he's done musicals and stuff before. And I hope this is a musical. I hope we're um, not, not redoing it. Can I just point out that this this year is going to have a musical crossover episode of Supergirl and The Flash. So, See, I've heard that, but is that yeah. definitely going to be this season? Apparently it is. So I, I want to. I want to add. Really? Yeah. Well, apparently the guy plays Joe West can sing and dance, and so can Tom Cavanaugh. You need to see Rents. 
I, you need to I don't need to see one. I've seen like five minutes of the movie, and I never need to see any more. Well, it was five minutes, uh, Jesse L. Martin crooning like no one has ever crooned before. Okay, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll try watching just, the movie. How about I watch the movie? Just just listen to him sing. I'll watch it's the incredible. movie, and that'll be there, all right? Yeah, he's, Look, he is the best part. I need, to, I need to readjust my musical barometer, because I've got La La Land coming up. Um, yeah, you do. And so I need to adjust it. I feel and, like we, we could have fights about La La Land. <laughs> really? Because yeah. I, I watched an interview with John Legend on The Daily Show earlier. Right, so, yeah. So, talking about it was across La La some music, and he plays a guitarist in the film. Oh, does he? Yeah. Well. he does oh, yeah, because, you know, Damien Chazelle doesn't uh, shy away from having yeah. a musician. He plays a character that's got the unsexiest male name ever. Uh, Keith. Yes. Is it really Keith? It's Keith. Bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's how unsexy that name is. Well, Family Guy popularised that. Yeah. <laughs> Keith. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's that news. Pretty... Pretty darn exciting. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm kind of... I'm, I'm kind right of... Right whatever, brother. Um, here, here is something else. Go on. So, J- Johnny Depp. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! yeah, yeah. Do He's topped at Forbes's uh, overpriced actors list for the second time running. <laughs> wow! This used to be where Adam Sandler like sort of reigned supreme. Did, Adam Sandler it, was yeah. like number one for like four years, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the overpriced it's. It's when obviously they're getting paid so it. much money for flops. Well, a lot of that is is going to be down to, for instance, Alice through the Looking Glass, in which he paid a shed load for a movie that made very little. Yeah, uh, I mean, last last year he came off of some real clunkers. Last year he came off like Malif- uh, not Maleficent, uh, Mordecai. And, yeah, and the year yeah. before that was that uh, Transcendence. That was Transcendence. The year before that, and, yeah, wow, yeah. I mean, he has starred in some turkeys. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm, you know, co- I'm you know quite what? optimistic about pirates. But you know what the problem is with Johnny Depp, and no so, one likes to say it. Johnny Depp is not a name above the title star. Johnny Depp is a franchise star. Johnny Depp cannot function outside of a certified franchise, which is why we are going to keep getting Pirates of the Caribbean movies until he is dead. That is absolutely. <laughs> and then after. Happen. Just with the use of CGI. Well, this is the thing. This is why he's joined Harry Potter, I think, because it's a certified franchise. He I is the ultimate I, s- I see. I see where you're coming at, but I don't fully support it, surprisingly enough. Incidentally, can I just point out, this month, Netflix UK gets a film. I think it's happening mid-month. Mm. They get my favourite Johnny Depp film, finally, on UK Netflix. I don't know if you've ever seen this. It's the movie Nick of Time. No, I have not. This is a 1994-95 real-time action I've thriller I've got it up. starring Christopher Walken as the villain. Oh, I've seen the poster right. for that. This yeah. basically formed the basis of what would become 24. He has 90 minutes of real time in order to assassinate someone to get his daughter back. That's that cool. is the movie, and it is great. It is one of my favourite Johnny Depp movies. It is about as Hollywood as he got back then. And I'm going to have to give that a watch. I mean, some of my favourite ones, obviously, Fear and Loathing and uh, uh, Edward, Edward Scissorhands, oh, like Seats and Gilbert Grape. Yeah, so that's where I kind of wouldn't wouldn't fully agree. But then again, I would also call his partnership with Tim Burton something of a franchise. Eh, really? Eh? Yeah. I'm trying to support your point here, you <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, but um, other other uh, other folks on the list. Uh, Will Smith is uh, number two. Well, uh, is. Channing Tatum is number three. Channing Tatum. I can't think what he, he was in. What's he was, sucked in? What was a flop? What's he done that's been a flop? I, I can't, I can't think, think. For think life, hand. But after him, uh, Will Fowl, uh, George Clune, as I'm calling him. Uh, mm. Adam Sandler, Sandman. Uh, Sad that the Clunetang's made the list. The Clunetang. Sad yeah. that he's made the list, man. Oh, they not the top five, but um, mm. yeah. Uh, Sandler, Marky Mark, uh, Leo. Leo? Yeah. I he's he's not that... had a blood diamond this year. He's not he? had a blood diamond. <laughs> 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 Which just sounds like a really horrible euphemism. He's for not really... had a body of lies this year. <laughs> blood diamond sounds like a bad euphemism for... 
Jason. <laughs> yeah, it really does. Like like a yeah. Really uh, Leo, uh, Julie Roberts, Mother's Day. Oh yeah, yeah Mother's, Mother's Day, Day. Got to be. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Bradley Cooper. Oh, Aloha. Oh, of that, course, that'll be yeah. Aloha. Totally. I wonder what it is for Leo. Maybe that's like it's just it's relative on how much he took rather well, than how maybe much it's lost. maybe the revenant didn't make that much actual money because didn't need to did it it was it was an oscar film it, wasn't, it was an oscar film it wasn't a blockbuster it was an no oscar it, it made it all in its oscar campaign yeah, parties yeah which is fair can of i course. talk about the pass real quick why not right okay so this is an interesting one this was a this was a play mm. this was something like a 33 day play and it was uh, took place in was it the royal the royal theatre upstairs or whatever it was called. Oh, yeah. Right. Um, it is the, the uh, I think it's John Donnelly who's written the play. He's also written the film. And uh, Ben Williams has actually has directed it. It is and it's, it's unashamed about being a play. Remember how Steve Jobs worked. Mm. Right, it was ba- that was like a three-act play on screen. This is, again, a three-act play on screen. They're not really shy about it. These three acts take place five years apart. So it starts in 2006, uh, jumps forward to 2011, and then 2016. And what you've got are, it, in the beginning, you've got two 19-year-old footballers, premiership, well, up-and-coming footballers. They are the, kind of the next next level. You know, they've, they've gone through the football academy. They're 19 years old. They're ready for their shot at the big time. And the night before their first big game, yep. uh, they were in a hotel room, both a little wired, both can't sleep. And uh, they, they, they can't sleep. One of them kisses the other. And this sets in motion a series of interpersonal events that are going to cut through the next decade and affect the lives of both of them. Hmm. And you've got, uh, oh, what's his name? Azine Kane, I think his name is, and Russell Tovey are the two footballers. And do you know what? We have a clip. I'll just give you a clip real quick. And this is, this is on that night in 2006 when they are 19 years old. How many houses you got again? Uh, he's a builder. That's what he does. Hmm. Yeah, my, my dad's too busy with his sermons. Well, it came to that thing you was in for your um, drama exam. Rah! <laughs> I forgot you come to that. Yeah, well, you were good in that. Yeah, what was that thing you did where you had that red material you pulled and then... That was abstract movement, yeah. That represent... What are you laughing at? Uh, no. No, I just remember it. It was... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. Mm. Arinze Kine, sorry, is uh, it play, plays the uh, the other one. Um, Russell Tovey obviously is the big star here, and uh, Arinze Kine is the only uh, only actor who doesn't is new to it. The rest of them have all come from the stage version and are sort of carrying through to this. And with Russell Tovey, it really shows how he's incredibly invested in this character. Mm. Now, because you've got the three acts that are five years apart in each case, you get to go through the full gambit of the the range of these characters they really do evolve and they evolve the performances as well evolve with them the performances really do show that difference in age and it's tremendous um ben williams has managed to make the because they are it largely takes place in hotel rooms mm. but all three three of those scenes do take place in different hotel rooms um and he's used the space quite effectively he's managed to make it quite a claustrophobic character drama you don't really think about the fact that it's a stage play other than the fact that it's basic three-act structure the performances are great um the writing is sharp i would argue it falls slightly apart in the third act with the inclusion of a character who just completely takes you out of the out of the scene and that's uh, nico uh, miral 
Miralago, I think his name is Miralago. Miralagro, as as mm. the sort of hotel employee who joins him. He he played Newt in Hollyoaks, which is where I recognised <laughs> him from. That's genuinely where I'm like. That's I've not seen Hollyoaks enough to remember any. Oh, I'm names. I'm well versed in the Roxanne McKee era of Hollyoaks. In, in the let's Hollyoaks law. Yeah, let's just put it this: with the, Ro- the Roxanne McKee uh, Elise de Trois era of Hollyoaks, I'm I'm more than schooled in. But uh, both. How can one man remember such crap? <laughs> Russell Tovey and uh, Arinze Kine, I think, are both absolutely terrific in this and it is tense it is uh, raw it is unflinching character drama it deals quite brilliantly and quite insightfully with the idea of sexuality in, in professional football which is something you don't really hear about and I thought okay that's kind of an interesting way to look at it because you couldn't tell this story in any other professional uh, environment other than football which is, you know what I mean? Mm. I think it was Alan Frank that asked me, couldn't you have done this in rugby? I went, no, no, because no, rugby's quite progressive. No, you couldn't have done that. Football is the only sport you could have done <laughs> this in. You couldn't even have done this in the NFL, because even that's more progressive mm. than professional football. But, uh, yeah, I really loved it. Really thought it was great. Yeah. I genuinely it does sound good. I will probably check it out at some point. When it comes it is stripped down, ninety. Uh, sorry, 88 minutes character drama and each one of these three scenes is about 25 minutes 25 28 minutes thereabouts Mm -hmm. it really works it really does work and i i I was i was blown away by how much i liked it actually yeah sounds good but uh, yeah so over to you mr allen have you uh, heard of a film that's going to come out next year called coco coco oh is this the pixar thing that's been in development for like donkey's years well all pixar films are in development for donkey's (laughs) years but yeah this is this is one of the next ones yeah exactly yeah Yeah. so this is coming out next year with uh with cars free cars free comes out first oh yeah so yes we got another good dinosaur inside out scenario going on here. well looking at it positive way we get two pixar films we did that last time though one of them was the good dinosaur so yeah but it's better than yeah. It's better than your average DreamWorks. Better than your so average bear. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Better than Shark, than, than shark Tale. <laughs> so, so, so bad. Like, anything's better than Shark Tale, let's be honest. Cool. Which needed a Will Smith theme song, let's be honest. He did. And do you know what we got? We got Missy Elliott, Christina Glover doing Car Wash. That film tanked. Yay. Yeah. But anyway, Coco. Um, so uh, some names have been attached, finally. We know okay. who's going to play Oh, I know one of them. Who is it? Is that Benjamin Bratt? Is Benjamin Bratt one of them? It is indeed. Who's going to be playing uh, a a singer, a vocalist, uh, some like famous dude who has died. Oh, he will totally. And uh, Gael Garcia Bernal, who is my favorite celebrity name to say. Uh, he's also going to be in it. So, um, yeah, the story details have been released, or at least some of the story details. So it's going to be about a 12-year-old boy named... Uh, Coco? Um, um, no, named no? Miguel. Miguel, It does okay. actually who Coco is. Oh, okay, fair enough. intriguing. Yeah. Named Miguel. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, wants to be a musician. Um, his idol is, uh, is Benjamin Bratt, the character that has passed away. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he wants to be a fantastic musician like this guy. Uh, it leads to a, uh, a turn of events where he goes into the underworld. Ooh. And this is sounding a bit Book of Life. A little bit. It is. And... Even more so because, yeah, David Ed. Yeah, so is yeah. Manuel Miranda attached to this one, or has he skipped? Not yet, I think he's skipped. He's got other Disney projects. Because <laughs> there's only on the so fire. many Hispanic-themed animated movies, and he, so many South American animated movies. That, but he's not, really, he's not been attached to any... So. Other than Moana. Which is Polynesia. Well, Polynesia. It's that, you just, it's that end you're of just the globe. <laughs> you're just lumping all the ethnicity together. I, I, I feel bad now. I feel bad, I'm sorry. But yeah, I'm, I'm always happy when there's a new original Pixar. Yeah. And, I mean, I'll, I'll still go see Isn't Cars this... 3. I'll go see Cars 3 based on that trailer. Is this Lee Dark Unker? Knight trailer. Is this Lee Unker did Toy Story 3? Lee Unkridge. Lee Un- Unkridge? Unkridge. Is that what you say? Okay, Unkridge. sorry. Yeah, who, uh, yeah, he directed uh, Toy Story 3. Yeah, he did. I think he co-directed Toy Story 2 as well. 
Oh. But he's he's part of the Brain Trust. Oh, yeah. So there's there's like, there's like your big names. So there's him, there's uh, Pete Doctor, um, what's his name? Brad Bird. Uh, Those oh, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those guys, yeah. Can I take a minute then to tear uh, Jet Trash to pieces? Do it. Right, okay. So Jet Trash, which is this sort of very millennial straight-to-DVD movie. That sounds and like an insult. I say it's millennial awesome. in the sense that it seems to be aimed at millennials and is a film that should have come out around the millennium. I can really f*** <clears> off when, <throat> I'm, when I'm called a millennial. <laughs> Although, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm... Are I'm you like, a millennial? I'm like a poster <clears throat> child for, for millennial, apparently. Well, I mean, you're, more, you're, you're more of a millennial hipster than anything else, but... Uh, that's, that's the other one. That's the other one I hate. What, hipster? Yeah. Well, you know what, you bring that on yourself, Alan. I don't look good any other way, and I better look good like this. <laughs> well, you know the, the the whole you know the whole trendy glasses, beard, flannel shirt thing works for you. So yeah. keep, keep it going, uh, right? So this is the kind of thing that would have been. You remember, do you remember post Guy Ritchie when Guy Ritchie first burst on the scene with uh, you know the double header of Lock, Stock, and Snatch, and then better times, better times. But yeah. then we had this wave of imitators yeah. that just got consigned to the you know two ninety nine a local petrol station uh, bin, and this was in a time when DVD hadn't. Really Really devalued that much when DVD mm. was still a premium format, and we still wound up early on with two ninety nine releases. Uh, this is one of those films that kind of caused that. It is the story of two sort of young millennials who sort of got in with the wrong crowd. Lee and Sol. Uh, Lee is played by Robert Sheehan. Sol is uh, Ozzy Ikile. And basically, they have they've, they've crossed the wrong crime lord and had to go on the run to southern India. The film takes place at Christmas, so it's all you know. It's nice South Indian beaches with this almost hipply ironic uh, Christmas soundtrack. Basically, their quiet life of you know dealing of low level drug dealing to make ends meet is interrupted when Sophia Butella turns up one day, and she's Robert Sheehan's ex girlfriend. And her being there basically means they've been found. And then there's a dead cow that comes into the mix as well. One of them accidentally kills a cow, and it's India, okay. so they're gonna have to go on the run. Right. And they've they've crossed another local crime lord, and who happens to be the guy that sells them the drugs. And they've they've gotten on the wrong side of the police as well. And then in the meanwhile, there is the original crime lord who. Turns turns up looking for them, and then they've got a flatmate who I think is a German guy who's meant to be like a former soldier who's gone buddhist, but he's actually going out of his mind, and by the end, I mean, we don't have a clip for this, so I'm just going to keep rambling, because frankly, this is a load of tosh. Piece it is crap. Yeah, it is, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those, you just look at it and think, I know you're trying to be stylish, but you're trying to be stylish without any enthusiasm or energy. It's directed by Charles Henry Belleville, who's in a work I'm not overly familiar with. Let me pull that up for you now. Um... It's just unengaging. It's got this this bleached-out aesthetic. Oh, The Inherence. He was the director of The Inherence a few mm. years back. It's got this bleached-out aesthetic. It's co-written by Dan M. Brown and Simon Lewis. It's based on Simon Lewis's book, Go, uh, which is not to be confused with the infinitely better 1998 U.S. indie uh, Doug Liman movie, Go, I knew you which, incidentally, I would rather watch a thousand times than this once. And that, that's the thing. The whole film just reminded me that there was a film called Go that I'd rather yeah. be watching. Um, I was bored to tears. Sophia Botella just cannot be asked in this film. Robert Sheehan seems more interested in chewing gum. And I mean that because there's not a single solitary moment in this film in which he's not slapping away when they're chewing gum. And as for Ozzy Akile, you just think, you know, you're playing the voice of reason, but it would be nice if they gave you anything to do at yeah. any point. Frankly, by the end of the film, I was bored to tears. I, I felt like I had just been consigned to the the... You know, the, the bargain DVD bin in 2001. That's what this felt like. And this really does blow me. This is such a lazy and uninvolved effort 
that, you know, frankly, I couldn't be bothered. I can't be bothered to give it a proper review because they can't be bothered to make proper films. So, film news? Film news, please. Take this with a pinch of salt. Pinch of salt, okay. Because Vin Diesel. Okay, go on. <laughs> so Vin Diesel, he says, one yeah. day in the future, oh, we will be... You you know him. I know. Go on, go on. Uh, our eyes will be treated to a Rocket and Groot standalone movie. They're right. In the MCU. Okay. And potentially in that film, or in another future Vin Diesel-directed Marvel film, <laughs> yeah. uh, we're going to see Hulk versus Groot battle. I'm all for it, obviously. I've oh, got cool. a pulse. I love Marvel films. Is this um, not what... Yeah, I, I, mean, I don't think it's going to happen. what I thought Ragnarok would be great for in terms of crossing over the Guardians characters? Yeah, like... In 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 Ragnarok, we are allegedly going to see the Hulk do battle with different beings. Yeah, we're going to have Planet Hulk. We're, we're going to essentially going to have some planet Planet Hulk. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that could be where the group is just there. But then I guess you would have to tie in the end of Guardians. James Gunn said Guardians Two is essentially going to be a standalone. Yeah. Well, as much as you can be a standalone nowadays. Well, the weird thing is we don't actually know at what point in the continuity Guardians of the Galaxy or or its sequel yeah. take place because that's, that's for all we point. for all we know, Guardians of the Galaxy could take place. Yeah, during the events of Incredible Hulk, or it could take place during the events of that's, Age of Ultron. Thing with the MCU. we don't know with yeah. Guardians because, like, chrono- well, just with all the films, like chronological mm. order is a little bit. No, the, the Earthbound ones, there is a continuity to them. Because isn't Doctor Strange meant to be before the early scenes of Doctor Strange reference the events of Iron Man Two? Yeah. Or they ref- actually no, that's actually that's unfair. They reference events that we see archival footage of yeah. in Iron Man Two. So, so when mm. the, when the MCU is said and done, when it's all finished, mm-hmm. which you know will probably be long dead. Yeah, yeah we'll be, we'll be yeah, absolutely. Dead, yeah. um, we're talking like 120 years. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> we'll be when, able when, to we, we'll be able to watch all the films in the order that they're supposed to be in order. Yeah, yeah. Um, it'll be a different. I think order. how it works. Uh, the, the way to remember it is uh, Age of Ultron does set up the actual timeline brilliantly because Age of Ultron points out that it takes place in 2016 and that Iron Man took place in 2008. Right. It does. It's Paul Bettany explains in the eight years since you declared yourself to be Iron Man, and we know that that took place in two thousand eight. So yeah, there we are. So there you go. Yeah, yes. but uh, we're never seeing a standalone Groot and Rocket movie. Shut up, Vin. He does this he just all likes the time. To talk, doesn't he? Bless him. Oh, I mean, it took him a, nearly a decade to get Last Witch Hunter off the ground. That's true. <laughs> then you watch the film. You're like, really? You put that much uh, time and effort into a supernatural? I still film? haven't seen that. I will as a player. It's trashy, goofy fun. Okay, know. let's have a few more pieces and then one more. Um, so we just spoke about the Oscars. Jimmy Kimmel was going to be hosting mm-hmm, the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, the shortlist for uh, the documentary for the long form documentary. Okay, yeah. Been. So I'm not going to say more because it's like 13, 15. Give me names. some good ones. Come. These are sort of like your big heavy hitters. These ones that are probably going to be winning. Yeah. Uh, Wiener. Yeah. Which oh, the, uh, that the Anthony Wiener one. Anthony okay, Wiener not one. Wiener Dog. So not Wiener. It's a documentary, and yeah. if it was weird documentary okay. weird, weird film uh, OJ Made in America which I have seen is really good isn't that a TV series though isn't it yeah two different things obviously, obviously about OJ about Simpson hmm. but yeah this is, this is the doc and in the best segue I've ever done in my life Life Animated. Oh, brilliant. Oh, so can I talk about a Life Animated now? Tell me about it. Right, okay, first and foremost, Life Animated, if it does get brought up for the Oscars, in terms of nominations, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah, but well, it will it's, never it, win. It's, it's, on, it's on the shortlist. It will never win. Right. I don't think it's, I don't think it's material that will win. Right, okay, so it's the story of Owen Suskind. Who is a young, uh, a young boy who, at a very early age, uh, as as tends to be the case, as he becomes a toddler, he starts to shut down on, on a communication level. His parents discover he actually has autism, and he remains silent for many years. One day, his parents discover 
as if by chance, a way to get through to him. Yeah. And it turns out that way is through Disney movies. If you throw a line from a Disney film on, he will throw you one back. He will throw you the next line back. And he That's uses amazing. this mechanism as a way to basically move out into the world as a way to discover the world and learn as he puts it at one point he learns to read from the end credits of disney movies so he and disney becomes his whole life we have a clip and this is this is his uh his establishment of a disney club i started a disney club so i can get to know more people and they can be around me so i can be more popular um, Shannon? it worked tonight we're watching some of lion king because this year is the big 20th anniversary of the original release of The Lion King. Yeah, sure. Shall we? Yeah. Uh, not only am I a big Disney fanatic, but I also like to play magical movie scores on this piano. Yeah. We watch parts of Disney animated films and discuss them and see what they're really about in our lives. Right, I wound up seeing this twice, and uh, I don't regret that I did. Uh, the first time I saw it, I was in floods of tears. Yeah, did you cry? I, I, it broke me as a person. I was a broken shell of a man. <laughs> um, first of all, I mean, it's based on uh, his father Ron's book. It's directed by uh, Roger Ross Williams. A few documentaries, not, not immediately leaped to mind, to be honest. But uh, it's got this uh, this wonderful style of animation that it keeps going back to. He know, they use Owen's own narration and they animate it for him. So the stories of what he was going through as a child are actually animated in a Disney style by the artist Mac Guff, mm. which we say too quick is McGuff. But, um, and it's a beautiful film to behold. Now, the animation might be why that's gaining Oscar attention, to be honest. That's a huge part of it. The film, if it has a fault, it's that it relies too much on Disney archival footage and thus risks playing too much on your nostalgia Mm. rather than the film it is in its own right. As a subject, Owen Susskind is absolutely fascinating. He is an adorable person. And I mean, he's, you will genuinely fall in love with this guy. He's about 20. I think he's 22, 23 at some point. The film chronicles his move from his finishing high school to him moving out on his own for the first time into what's basically assisted living. He gets his first apartment and he, you know, he gets to experience life for the first sort of time free of his parents. There's some very touching stuff in there. They talk to his brother, for instance, about, you know, uh, the inevitability of what happens when his parents, you know, uh, reach old age when they pass away and he's left with him and little, and there's humorous things like his exploring relationships, him, him getting his first girlfriend and his brother having to deal with how do you how do you tell him about sex because the disney movies don't really cover that the disney movies kind of just stop at one solitary kiss no movement no tongue that's it i've tried talking to him it doesn't go down well it is a fascinating movie it will tug at the heartstrings like you won't believe it's got two disney cameos that will blow your mind i mean i've just told you one of them admittedly it's got two absolutely brilliant cameos in there and i i absolutely felt like it's a footline and sinker for it i thought it was a genuinely beautiful film um and that's it the i mean i would say it is going to become something i think it's going to become very much water cooler uh documentary mm. as well as a, a moment of significance within the discussion of autism the mainstream discovery the discussion of autism which is something that in the last sort of decade or so has become a lot more a lot more of a thing it's less of a stigma there's a lot more discussion about autism and i feel like we as a culture have, we've learnt a lot in the last decade mm. that we didn't really in terms of the mainstream stuff do before 
This film, I think, is going to become a brilliant part of that. And I'm fascinated by it. But, yeah. uh, it, does, it does sound great. I'm definitely going to see it before the Oscars. Hopefully, it's going to be on the shortlist. It is effectively it's a Disney-powered autism documentary, <laughs> yeah. and well, it's, it's, it's the kind of it lends itself so brilliant to the kind of thing Disney is so good at. Yeah. But even though they're not really that involved, there's nothing to do with Disney. It's just it's incidental. Yeah. He and could be into Looney Tunes for all you know. Yeah. But you know, that's cool. it. So. Right. Uh, so. Uh, we're finally getting that the, uh, Blade Runner sequel. Oh, God, yeah, we are. Blade Runner 2049. 2049. 2049. Yeah. yeah. Which, I feel like that could be a misguided title. What like, year was the first Blade you Runner? Might, you might think that that is the 2049 sequel to Blade Runner. Yeah, it is Which true. was like, that, that was a classic joke working at Was it 2019, the first Blade Runner? It tells you at the very beginning, Los Angeles. I so, yeah. Is it 2019 or 2029? Mm. I can never remember. Something, no, something like that, yeah. So, um, obviously, in that film... It's kind of a little bit ambiguous whether uh, Rick Deckard is indeed a replicant or not. Yeah, and even Harrison Ford has said, no, no, you're reading too much into it. That's it. We thought we were going to begin some closure with a new one. Mm. Well, we're not. Oh, uh, okay. The director, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. Our boy. Uh, he says that it's not going to answer whether Deckard is a replicant or not. So Fair enough. Keep on dreaming. Keep right. keep dreaming. It's not happening. You're not getting your conclusion. That's it. Uh, another couple of pieces. Um, of course, Adam Driver confirms that the man who killed Don Quixote is delayed. Oh, God. Because... <laughs> <gasps> Just really? make it. Just make it already. Oh, just do it in animated form, Terry. Come on. I know. <laughs> just do I, it in animated he's, form. He's, he's going to die before it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't. I don't think this is gonna. This is gonna be like. Uh, you remember how Stanley Kubrick had AI, yeah. and he passed away, and Spielberg had to take it over. Yeah. This is gonna happen. This is gonna outlive Terry Gilliam, is, and then and then Spike Jones is just gonna take yeah. it on or something. Yeah, yeah. And uh, finally, this is my last piece. You really enjoyed it, so I've not seen it. I really want to see it. We're mm. going, of course, we're getting an English language remake of Train to Busan. Yes, it's gonna be made by Gaumont, the French film company, mm. isn't it? But they're gonna do the. They're gonna produce it. It's gonna be an English language film though yeah. it's going to be filmed and set in LA mm. and yay happy and about that Dwayne The Rock Johnson will be announced uh, of course any moment. Dwayne The Rock Johnson will be in there but of course Dwayne The Rock Johnson does not end our average show no he does not he does not in which case here it is your moment of Nicolas Cage so let me ask you something do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart no well you see that's interesting because I'm a big film buff Bogart was the best the king when I was in the joint, there was a movie producer who was in there with me, and I, I says to him, I says, do you think I look like Humphrey Bogart? And he says, well, yeah, you do, but a stretched out version of him. <laughs> it's a fantastic story.